Good morning, heart and soul. Pardon me. Good morning. This Sunday, as we do throughout June, very specifically for the past few years, we're celebrating, pardon me, we're celebrating pride. And sometimes I want to thank Ron for the prayer because I join you in gratitude. But sometimes I weep around the work that we still have to do and the pain and suffering that is still present for us. And so although we're celebrating pride, we have a huge opportunity as humans on this planet at this time, a huge opportunity to see ourselves connected, to live from and in and as the oneness that is true. And I'm grateful for the distance that we've come. I truly am. I don't know if it looks like it, but I truly am grateful for the distance that we've come, the journey we've taken, and the way that we have stood for each other. And something about this reminds me of Juneteenth. And while I'm grateful that there is a holiday, but I don't quite know where to file that. I really don't. Because what it represents is the injustice. Oppressed people somehow find something to celebrate in life. Because there's a boot on the neck. And so if you can just twist your head a little bit, there's something to celebrate. If you can look up, there's something to celebrate. And so we celebrate. And I'm not taking that away. But I wouldn't want us to get so busy and involved in the celebration that we miss the purpose for the celebration. That we forget that there's a calling on each and every one of our lives. Forgive me. I want to I give thanks for Reverend Amon, who was here last week and just did the Amon thing that he does, and I'm so grateful for him in my life and in the life of heart and soul. And right now, I want to back me up, Pam, please. I'm kind of in altered consciousness here because I want to remind you that the week before that, this, I had no idea this was happening. And what it represents is that I really do feel that I authentically, that this is, this is it. So work it out. So the week before Amon was here, I shared with you Robert Jensen, who wrote The Dangers of White Male Supremacy. And one of the quotes that I chose from him is, to not be shaken by suffering would be to abandon some of one's humanity. To ignore the fact that white guys and rich people and, you know what I mean, privilege is on so many levels. He's talking very specifically about white male privilege. But I need you to get that there is, that it's, um, it's nuanced, in the sense that many of us have privilege by where we live or that we have housing or that we have phones and that we have, oh, I get it every time because I know I give good phone. And so they don't necessarily know if I were in person, I might get a very different response. Now, they would know I'm female by phone, but they would not necessarily be able to identify an ethnicity. So I'm just saying that I get that we all are packing privilege all the time. And there's something about us ignoring how we benefit while others are at the effect of it. And I think that that's a huge part of our work. A huge part of our work as individuals and collectively. You see, that's a part of why heart and soul exist. It's not because I thought that there, we needed one more church. 
that you shouldn't stop off at all of the possibilities en route. It was that I believe that there was another voice that could be heard, that there were a group of people who could come together and could see that spirituality and social activism, spiritual activism, and the transformation of our individual lives and thus the planet would make sense to somebody. I believed it on every level of my being that I didn't know how many people would come, but I knew some people would come, that they'd be like, I'm all about it. And so I stand before you today just still in prayer. I know that whatever number of years I've lived so far, I have fewer than those left to live. No matter how healthy I am, no matter whatever, I know I'm not intending to be here. Another so many decades, I'm not choosing to reveal because I've come to myself recently (laughs) that all those revelations I've given up until now haven't necessarily served me lately. So I'm withholding a number, but just whatever you imagine, know that I feel a sense of urgency now about my work on the planet, about how I use my voice and about what's possible. And so with that in mind, I want to share with you about a particular sister. Her name is Jahira D'Alto, and she's a well-known and beloved transgender advocate, an advocate for survivors of domestic and sexual violence and a member of the ballroom community. She was a founder of Berkshire Transgender Day. This is in Massachusetts, the Day of Remembrance and a part of the Pride Festival there. And she shared on Twitter, let me tell you how this came to me. I was listening to NPR and they were playing a of a keynote that she gave. And one of the things that, there were so many things that I had to go back and, you know, Life comes to me that way. So I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm all about finding out more about that person and what else she said and when she said it and what the circumstances were. But one of the things I heard in that that she said, she declared for herself that I am the mother who raised the children whose rainbow sparkled too brightly and blinded their birth moms. And I'm like, you better line it up. You better line it up in a way that honors everybody. That also sets the purpose on your life, the mission on your life. And you see it in alignment with not just the youngster. Because you understand that those houses were about sheltering youngsters who had no place. Who had not just a physical place to be, but had no emotional or spiritual place to be. And so it was her consciousness that included all of that. She says, I know what gratitude in the eyes of a young person who finally feels seen looks like. And she said, and for me, that's enough. That's enough. It's not 20 questions for them. So look, while y'all are working on that, I want to tell you, some more about her. She identifies as a person of color, a woman, a person with a disability, and a woman who arrived at womanhood by way of a transgender journey. She said, my desire has been to be a voice for those who are voiceless and that there's more work to be done. It's an awakening if we choose, y'all, my words. She says, my story is no different than many other survivors. Mine is the story of a person who lost hope and a person who found hope and then a person who became hope. Each and every one of you serves as a possibility example of what life can become. She said, I had those possibilities before me at my lowest moment, and that's how I arrived here. And every person that you serve, I love how she's talking to us. This was her keynote in 2019, as she was receiving an award. 
she said, uh, that's how I arrived here. And every person that you serve, every person that you advocate for, whether it's behind a desk, guarding the street, or by whatever means you do the work you do, but do the work. You are serving as a possibility model. And it is through you that somebody can be inspired to be greater than they are now. She said, I show up for vulnerable populations, in particular, the trans community. Because a trans woman who is also of color, I am twice as likely to experience intimate partner violence in my lifetime. As a trans person of color, I am twice as likely, I'm sorry, I will be sexually assaulted in my lifetime. And as a trans woman of color living in the United States, my life expectancy as a 35-year-old, I am now five years beyond how long it was said that I would survive. Because 35 is the predicted age. So at this point, she's 40 when she's speaking these words. I had so much here, I had to cross out some stuff. I said, I can't tell them everything. We get to decide, she said, at least pontificate on what the next 35 years look like. And this is a challenge. Those of you whose parents died young, it's said that, that at the, when you get to the age that they were, it's a, it's a moment. It's a decisive moment. And so when one has predicted, when society, when the culture, when politics, when systems have predicted that you'll only live to be 35, imagine what happens at 36 and 37 and 38 and 39 and 40 because you hear the hoofbeats. You're in fear that you've outlived and the days, your days are clearly numbered. It's as if it's coming for you. Are you understanding how this shows up? She says, so we have to either decide or at least begin to pontificate, begin to design for ourselves what it will look like for us as survivors, for us as providers, for us as advocates. She says, this is the real conversation because we're not merely rolling along for this ride. We get to be active participants in this thing. And this is true for for us as allies. This is true for all of us. We don't need no labels to figure out how how we are in the game. We're humans, and we're talking about a human game. That's our ticket in. We're not waiting for an invitation. We are in. It's our responsibility. She says, I want to know that survivor voices get a say in what the duration of their life looks like. I want to know that all of us are at best conduits. We are the pit stop on the road of somebody else's journey. Come on. There's a way for us to envision who we must be and how we must be it. She says we are the reminder of who they are as they are, that that has merit and value and substance, and that they too are worthy of all the great things that this life has to offer. She says I want us to find our way to those populations. And when we encounter them, I'd like for us to remind them of their humanity. There's so many ways we can interact. But how about if we remind them of their humanity? Because she said, as somebody who has transversed the journey from victim to survivor, the first thing I believed I lost was my humanity. We need to listen when folks tell us the truth about their experience. She said, ultimately, I was able to witness in real time people who had the resources and the knowledge and the wherewithal, most of all, the heart to see somebody at the lowest point in their life and be able to say, you know, this is a chapter in your book, but it's not the whole book. Some of you, you know, what I've noticed in the press and in folks who have shared their story of coming out, is that we have seen the transformation of the hearts of parents who were right-wingers in terms of their approach to same-gender-loving folks in the world. But when they discovered that their children, their beloveds... Now, this, unfortunately, is not always the case. Lord, I wish it was! That every time it came close to home, that folks straightened up. But unfortunately, that's not the case. But we can certainly benefit from the awareness of those times that it has. And so I ask you to invoke that in your own life. 
that you don't have to personally have that, but you got something. You have something in your life that can apply. Allow the law of transitivity. Plug it in. Know that there's something in your life where you wish somebody had seen you or your child or your nephew or your cousin or the, the children that you teach or the, na- or the children in the neighborhood, that there's something from which you can draw that will activate and expand your expression of humanity, your willingness to honor each other and stand for each other and know something more. Sometimes it's just a look. Y'all know that. There's not a black person, there's not a person of color, I can imagine. Let me not speak for all nations of people and color. Let me speak for me. That sometimes I've walked into the room and all I'm looking for is one glance of acceptance. I turned down something recently because I thought, you know, I'm worn out being the black person in the room. I've like... You know, I just, I'm not, what, what's it going to be? What are you asking me to do? And, you know, I was raised to give my gift. I know I have gifts and I was raised to give them. And if you know me, I'm, I'm showing up most of the time to give it. It doesn't matter whether I want to. Nobody told me nothing about whether you want to go. You know, that was, not, that was not part of the scenario. You got skills. What do you want? To those for whom much, to whom much is given, much is required, is what I was taught. And so I get this, and then I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't take no more. I'm just, no. And that doesn't mean forever, but in that moment, I thought, no, I can't be the black person. I can't be here this time. Y'all going to have to find somebody else. Now, they don't necessarily consciously know. They may or may not. I don't care know that that, whether that was the invitation, but I know. I know that when I got there, I'd be looking for somebody, and I don't want to play 20 questions. Ask somebody. Ask your black friend what that means. I just, because it's what I just, so, so for me, that's extending my heart, you see, as an ally. I'm like, I feel you. I haven't been there in that specific situation, but what? I can apply the law of transitivity well enough to try to understand something. That when you walk in, all eyes look at you in a way that doesn't encourage you. And if they look halfway encouraging, they might have 45 questions for you. And who, you... I didn't got all off of her keynote. She says, I know what it is to lose hope and gain hope and then become hope. I now get to be for other people what somebody was for me. I get to look in the eyes of someone who is desperate and say it doesn't end here. She says, all of us know some permutation of that story. And that's why we must continue to show up. Keep showing up. Keep rising in the face of everything. I'm adding, because it's an adventure in faith. Rise up no matter what. Just know we're on an adventure. She says, in the face of everything, pushing back against the bureaucracy, the red tape barriers, the problems, the apathy, all of it keeps showing, in all of it, keep showing up. Because you are a living example of what our combined effort has managed to accomplish so far. So just imagine what we can do with 35 more years. You see, when you're 35 and 40, you can really, if if you're willing to design it, it's appropriate for you to design another 35. Heck, I could design another 35. I'm just saying. But you don't do that when you are so oppressed that the feeling is nobody wants you to have another 35. I got to talk to you and keep it real. So look, y'all. Let me bring it current. What I was reading from was when Jahira received a special recognition award and she was delivering the keynote address at the Massachusetts Office of Victim Assistance in 2019. What's true is that she was killed last month. 
she was murdered, violently murdered. So it is still vitally important, she said, that we leverage our privilege to provide educational opportunities for people to learn more. She said education is our greatest weapon against ignorance. The more we humanize ourselves for those we don't think, (laughs) for those who don't think that they've encountered a transgender person, the more we're able to remove the stigma and fear surrounding the perception of what trans people are. She ultimately said that once you've met her, you can no longer say you've never met a trans person. And her intention was to represent humanity, represent love, represent the divinity so completely that, well, let me just say it the way I see it, that everyone would be transformed in her presence. So in her work, her advocacy work, working with the youngsters, they'd be transformed, but also working in systems that they'd be transformed. And we can all do that. We know models from which we can draw. We know that this is true and possible. So look, this is about us coming together. This is, it's about right now. And now is the time to believe who you are. Gina Breedlove says, and marry your soul with your will. Because we are the ones who will heal. I know we wish it was somebody else and we'd just be invited to the after party. But that's not how this is working. Now is the time to believe who you are on every level and remember that only love is real. This is a song about coming together. This is a song about how word I am word and I know how to serve. This is a song about now. Somebody told us to love one another. Quiet the mind and be still. Now is the time to believe who you 
That was a song written by our beloved Gina Breedlove. And part of the lyric that I just want to remind you that you heard, she sings, or she wrote in terms of writing the lyrics, this is a song about healing the healers. This has been a talk about healing the healers. We're the healers. Opening hearts with a sound, changing the world with all of our hands, together, standing our ground. That's our call to action. That's, that's it. That's a drop mic moment. I got a little more to talk to you about, so I can't do that just yet. But the intention here is that, that I want you to, I mean, watch this video later. Replay that part of the song, sing along, get a good sense of that there is a calling on each of our lives to make a difference. And we'll each be able to make a difference in a different way. Some of y'all can take the, bring the children into your homes. Others can send money. Others can provide food. Others can support shelters. Others can support legislation. You can sign petitions. You can march. You can do all of the things. The key is that there's something for each of us. And I want to remind you, a couple of weeks ago, I brought you this quote that you cannot wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. So this is not, I know you're going to do it when you work stuff out. I know you're going to do it when you have some more money. I know you're going to do it when you have more time because you have a vision for volunteering and doing, mm, I'm saying there's something right now with the 15 minutes you have, with the 20 minutes you have, with the five minutes that you have, there's something that you can do. I know you're planning on volunteering for months at a time but we can't wait for you to get there. We're going to need your 15 minutes right now. We're going to need your little 30-minute segments. We're going to need you to begin, as Sister Jahira said, begin pontificating about what could happen. We're going to call it visioning. Begin seeing beyond the problem. To what, how would we be if? How will we be when? What would happen? Look here, Ernest Holmes. <clears throat> Says this, he says that the storehouse of nature is filled with infinite good awaiting the touch of our awakened thought to spring forth into the manifestation of our lives. You better write something, Ernest Holmes. He said, but the awakening must be on our part, not on the side of life. We're not waiting on life to change. Before we begin to claim the allness of our being, we must shift. He says, we stand at the gateway of limitless opportunity in the eternal and changeless now. That's where the power is. Now is the day in which to begin new life. That's how we lift ourselves up and we lift others up. He says, the word we speak is the law of our life. And nothing hinders but ourselves. Now, look, don't get stuck on that. This is what happens in classes. Lot, lot, I hope I'm not projecting on you, but let me just clarify. Invariably, if I'm teaching a, a class or facilitating a group and a powerful word like what I just said, which is that nothing hinders but ourselves, what immediately tends to go through the human mind is the exception. Rev, what about when, how about the people who, often in places you've never visited and can't spell? And the question is irrelevant. Principle is true whether you can see it now does not matter. It's true that nothing hinders but ourselves. Our belief in less thanness, our belief that some are not worthy, our belief that we're not worthy, because it stems from that. 
our belief, it is done unto us as we believe. He says, we have through ignorance of our real nature misunderstood the power of our word. And I'm going to add and said stupid stuff. And thus we called forth the very thing we feared. Come on, Job. What I feared is upon me. How you think it got there? Because I believed it into being. Every time we declare that that legislation, that ain't going to pass. We are a part of the energetic presence that is causing things to stay as they have been rather than calling them into the newness. Ernest Holmes ends this particular piece by saying, but now it shall produce a new thing. Your word, you see, is so powerful that when you straighten you out, it produces a new thing, a new heaven and a new earth. We know that heaven is representative, is indicative of our exalted thinking, our openness to the to the infinite possibility, the divine. And the earth is the manifestation of that. So if we don't like how the earth is, we no, no point in starting to kick the dirt. We start changing what brought it into manifestation. Our being in it, the way we're thinking, what we're practicing, what we're saying to each other. Yes, that's what he's talking about. I wanted to bring you in Scripture, 1 John, the fourth chapter. The eighth verse begins, and this is in the Aramaic for English, in English. Because God is love, and everyone who does not love does not know God. You know what? That's the only part I'm reading. Because that really says it. That really speaks to how Jahira, in her work, was so successful. Why she was giving the keynote, which was honoring her for her work and her presence, the transformation in her life, is because whether she ever called or said the word God, you see, God don't care. Besides that, it wasn't called God anyhow. You know, there are so many words in, in, in all of the languages of the world that are a way to honor the divine. You often hear me say, the living one, the strong one, or source, or the, the mighty I am presence, it, whatever. But you, here's the thing, there's a vibration. There's a vibration, and it really doesn't matter what letters you string together. Are they at the vibration of the divine? Are they, is there a connecting cord in that? What? Because in 1 John 4, it says, because God is love. And everybody who does not love does not know God. So that's our work, is to know the divine. To be in relationship with the divine in a way that y'all know each other on a first-name basis. Y'all got nicknames for each other. Don't you know that in a relationship that's close? Invariably, there's a, there's a little nickname. There's a pet name. There's a little something you call them. And sometimes nobody else knows what that is. Remember when the master teacher, Yahushua, first taught them to pray. Nobody had been praying to Abba. Our father was a new thing. Like, what are you talking about? Because they had been making sacrifices to, to a deity outside of that, was, that, was, that they were afraid of. Ducking and dodging it. And this one steps up to say, our father. Not just mine, but everybody. Because he understood that God is love. And the folks who get that and operate with that, it flies in the face of declaring. And I know it's just, it's a euphemism. Now God is all there is. Without any respect to God or anything happening, the power of our word, and this is bringing that more deeply. 
It's that when we say God is all there is, we begin to see ourselves in that. We begin to see the people we're criticizing. We begin to see the folks we've othered. Either God is all there is or it isn't. And if it is, then let's start acting like it is. And it's about inclusion. Well, the record shows very clearly. I found this that a friend of Jahira's, a member of the ballroom community in which she participated, said that through Jahira's work, she saved hundreds of lives and inspired many others to do the work. This is how change happens. By the light shining from one person to another. Come on, y'all, shine the light. Just expose the truth of your being. You see, if God is all there is, then you got some God to shine on this. Because that would include you. So this shining, the light is real. She said, ultimately, he said, ultimately illuminating the world. My only wish is that her light wasn't dimmed so soon. And just energetically, I get that a lot of us feel the same. But the truth is that it was. And so there's something about the torch having been passed. There's something about who is next in the relay then. So hers was dimmed, which simply means she passed it on. But it's lit and blazing. And my question to you is who will take it now? Who is willing to stand as a healer? Not to try to do what she did and exactly the way she did it. Do it the way you do it. But bring the healing. Why? Because we're getting closer. We're getting closer. And that's important for us to know. The lyric of the next song says, when I close my eyes, I hear the voices crying out. Hurry, we don't have much time. Hold on for the healing family. All voices are needed to speak up and to listen, to act on intention. Hey, we got work to do. I bring to you now the healers. Do 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 do
disillusioned way down by the mind pollution custom tailored headlines and hate we're hardwired for evolution if we envision a future inclusive of all we can make it come on we're getting closer come on we're getting closer come on we're getting come on we're getting Forkish, who um, arranged the uh, both of the selections that uh, We Sing performed for us. She is the originator of Re- We Sing, which is that, that choral group that we heard um, in that iteration of it. And she arranged both the Healer by Gina Breedlove and the Healing by Emily Elbert. And I just want to remind you of this notion in the lyric that justice needs the hand and the heart. That we must bring it. That there's something for us to be and to do in order to have a world that works for all. And so in an attitude of gratitude for all that has been provided us the breath that we took upon awaking this morning not counting all the breaths that preceded that that get kept us while we slept i'm not even talking about all of that i'm just simply starting from the moment of conscious awareness this mo- this morning that we drew in breath and we exhaled it which means that we are alive And for every moment that we are alive, there is a calling on each and every life. And so I speak this word into the acknowledgement of the calling on each life. That there is more, more required of each and every one of us. And the way I know is not based on all you're doing right now. The way I know is because I see the world. I see the world and I know that we're responsible for the world on our watch. And so I speak this word, the word of God, the word of the divine, the word of the living one, the word of the strong one, the word of the I am presence as given to me to know and to know that I know that this we can do. This we can do. This is ours to be, to do. And to call forth a world that works for all. To know that right where we are right now, the whole perfect and complete nature of the divine is. To recognize that there is one. One life, one breath, one love, one beingness. There's only one. By any name, by God, by the living one, the strong one, Jehovah, Allah, by any name, there is one. And I speak this word that the veil be lifted and that we see the fullness of our infinite possibility in the one. We are as thou art. I and the Father be one. If you've seen me, you see the divine. That may be hard to imagine, but it's true. And my work, not just now, but always and in always, (coughs) is to see 
the divine in everyone. Not according to whether I like them, whether they're doing what I think they ought to be doing, whether they're going where I think they ought to go and when I think that that I simply see the divine, that I lift the veil, that I see the truth of the divine in everyone, always. I got work to do. We in the collective, we have work to do so that humans are safe on our watch. Oh, I just speak this word knowing that something quite magnificent is unfolding. That I heard this prayer. That I recognized the truth in it. And that someone, someone somewhere recognized the truth that is ours to be and to do. Oh, I know that it's done and it's done well in the divine. And this prayer is about shifting my awareness. And for anyone who's willing to join me to shift the awareness of what we see and what we know and the infinite possibility that surrounds and enfolds us and our willingness to recognize and stand in and declare likewise, God is. I am, and all is well. And that it's on us to breathe life into that truth, to have that be our experience. God is, I am, we are, each and every one of us is, and all is well in God. So it must be well in me. And what is true for me is simply true. It's not true because I'm me. It's true. And I have lifted the veil of ignorance and doubt and fear. And I see it now. God is. I am. And all is well. For that, I'm grateful. And so I just let it be. I let it be. Releasing this word into the absolute perfect activity of love. I accept that it's so. Now and forevermore. Ashe. Amen. And so it is. Love matters.